How many of you love your Bible? I mean, isn't the Bible good? It's it's refreshing. It it, it brings us um, nuggets of wisdom, and it helps us not only in the good times, but also in the tough times. I I love Scripture too, simply because it um, you know you, you you get a lot of clear messages from the from the passages that are that are very um, obvious. But then you have some that are kind of hidden that uh, many will actually breeze right over and, and miss it. And there's a story in John chapter 4. In fact, if you have your Bible or your iPhone or your iPad or your iLid, John chapter 4, and it's the story of the woman at the well. And I just want to kind of set the tone of what's happening here. Jesus breaks away from his disciples and he makes his way to this water well that is out of town a little bit. It's out of the city limits a little bit. And there is a lady. Now, I want you to know that Jesus broke all gender barriers and race barriers at this well. Number one, she was a Samaritan, and number two, she was a lady. Jesus being a Jew, you you don't do that. You don't talk to not, not alone just a Samaritan, but a woman. It was sort of taboo for that to take place. And so Jesus and her begin a conversation. And it starts out with some questions. Jesus asks her, he says, I need a drink, will you give me one? And of course, her question back to him is, well, wait a minute, why are you asking me? You're Number one, you're a Jew, we're not supposed to be talking, and number two, I'm a lady, and we're definitely not supposed to be talking. And so Jesus transitions right to where she lives. He says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go call your husband, bring him back here. And she goes, oh, I I don't have a husband. Jesus says, you're absolutely right. You've had five. And, of course, she was quite amazed. And he says, to, to add a little more to the story, he says, and the guy you're living with right now is not your husband. Do you think that Jesus read her mail? On the spot. And she says, I perceivest thou art a prophet. And then she says, you know, I've been told since I was a little girl that the Messiah would come one day and explain all these things to us. And then Jesus comes right back at her and says, I'm the Messiah. I'm he. And so we pick up the story in John chapter 4 in verse 27, a little, a little further down the story. It says, just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman, like we had just mentioned, right? But look what John writes. He says, but no one asked 
Basically, rabbi, teacher, Jesus, what do you want? Or, why are you talking with her? Now, it struck me funny. Why would Jesus, or excuse me, why would John mention something that didn't take place? Interesting. We're going to find out maybe a little later why he said that, why this non-thing happened or didn't happen. Verse 28, Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to where? The town, and said to the people, You've got to come see this man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They, meeting the town people, came out of the town and made their way toward him at the well. Now, I want you to picture what's happening here. This woman has a divine encounter with your Lord and Savior and my Lord and Savior. He reads her mail. He he ministers to her. And then what does she do? She turns around and immediately makes it back into town. Wasn't very far, maybe just a few blocks. And tells them, and Scripture says, they came out of the town toward him. I said Scripture is awesome, isn't it, at the beginning? Scripture is actually also kind of funny. Because look what the next verse says, and it's on your handout. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, can we go to Fizo's and get us a grilled uh, catfish Acadiana with that stuffed potato on the side and some extra French fries? <laughs> really? They see Jesus ministering to her and, and witnessing to her and, 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 and pouring his heart and his empathy and his love and his compassion. And they're all about the food. He says, okay, you, you, you want to talk about food? I'll go there. He says, I have food, in verse 32, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Basically, what Jesus says was, I'm not fired up about lunch right now, guys. I've got some people that are coming from the town to meet me here. I don't want to hear anything about food or lunch because it's all about them at this point. And so scripture, again, a little funny, they missed the metaphor, right? Well, they miss it again. In verse 33, then the disciples said to each other, could someone else have brought him some food? Really? They just, they weren't connecting the dots. These guys were so hung up on food. So Jesus, again, okay, you want to go there again? I'm going to go there again. He says, my food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And then look what Jesus says. He says, don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? What was he trying to convey to them? Hey, I've got a harvest of souls right here. And you're not even concerned 
an ounce about them. You're so hung up on lunch, I could care less about lunch. You're so concerned that, oh, we'll put off the harvest and the the souls are here. We'll, We'll put that off four months. That's what Jesus was telling them. And then look what he says. I tell you what. Open your eyes. And that's the title of tonight's message. He says, I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for the harvest. You see, Jesus was saying, I wish you could see these town people like I see them. He says, I wish you could see Lafayette like I see Lafayette. I wish you could see the hurting people who lost everything, whether it was here or in Baton Rouge or Denham Springs, like I see what they're going through. He says, I wish you could see your neighborhood like I see your neighborhood. I wish you could see your coworker like I see your coworker. I wish you could see the person who comes to family life and sits all by themselves. I wish you could see them and see their hurt like I see it. Jesus says, what I want you to do is open up your eyes and see the big picture. Because if you don't open your eyes, you're not going to see the real Jesus operating in your life and in their lives. You're not going to see the harvest. You're going to be so concerned about the lunch. He says, open your eyes. And I believe this, a lot of people, a lot of Christians, Bible-believing Christians, have a spiritual condition that I have. And I'll explain. When I was in Little League, played a couple years, and about the third or fourth year, my dad had bought uh, his company. He, he uh, paid for an advertisement, you know, how they normally do in the outfield fence. They were, they were all over the back fence. And I remember um, uh, we had a game next. So I was sitting in the stands with my parents and some friends. And my mom says, hey, Ro- Robert, that was my name back then. But anyway, she said, Robert, I really go by Rob now. But anyway, she said, do you see dad's uh, advertisement? And I'm like, no, not really. I can't really see it. She goes, really? I said, no. Hmm, we're going to have to take you to the eye doctor. I had never been. I was like maybe nine or ten years old. I had never been to the eye doctor. So we called up Dr. Kidd, who's right there uh, in Franklin. And uh, we, we go in there and we, we make an eye. Uh, I mean, we go there for the eye exam. And let me tell you, it was very traumatic for a ten-year-old. First of all, they put my, my chin on this little uh, shelf thing. And then next thing you know, poof. could you warn me next time? And then they take me to another room and then it's one of these, this one or that one. I'm, I'm nine. I don't understand. You know, you, you, you've been there before. Well, wait a minute. Uh, I said this one, but I really meant that. How many of you have struggled at the eye doctor? (sighs) And then to confuse the matter, Dr. Kidd comes in, says, Robert, your 
nearsighted. No, I can see right here, Doc. I can't see far, so I've got to be farsighted. Well, no, that's not how we do it. I'm nine. I'm confused. I'm, I'm traumatized by the this or that. And being labeled nearsighted. Doc, you got it all wrong, man. You got the, you got the words backwards. Did you know that eye doctors, that's the only medical profession that <laughs> names your condition for what you're good at? It's like going to the doctor with a broken arm and he says, man, your legs work great. <laughs> Could you just get the terminology right? But I want, to, I want to tell you this. There is a spiritual condition that a lot of believers have that, that cripples them along their spiritual journey. And that they're, they're spiritually nearsighted. They're so concerned about what's happening here that they lose sight of what's going on out there. They can't see the outfield fence advertisements anymore. They can't see the town folk that are coming to Jesus at the well. In fact, in 2 Peter, it says this, and it's on your handout, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises. So right here we see that there, there's, there's power and there's promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. And so we, we, we see here power and promises. God expects us to grow, doesn't he? Would you agree with that? And look what it says in verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, to your goodness knowledge, to your knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities, comprend? If you possess these qualities and engage with these qualities, in increasing measure, mean growing, Watch what happens. They keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is what? Nearsighted. Circle that word nearsighted really big. So if we want to be effective and productive in the kingdom of God, we cannot be concerned about what's happening right here. Amen? We've got to have a vision for what's going on out there in the town. In order to grow, in order to, 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 um, to advance in our spiritual journey, we can no longer focus about what's going on here. But what happens is a lot of Christians are concerned about themselves, aren't they? It's about me, it's about me, it's about me and no one else. You see, we can't be so concerned about me, me, me that when you walk into your business tomorrow or where you work and you see somebody a little down that you walk right by them and you miss them. 
There is no better time to reach people than right now today because of what's going on in our country as well as what's going on right here in our neighborhoods because of the floods. It's easy to go help someone remove sheetrock and work a day or two, but what happens six months later? How are they doing? It's easy to go make a meal for someone that has literally lost their home and lost their floors. And, and look, I was in a lot of homes. In fact, I want to let you know that Family Life helped upwards of 70 to 75 homes. And look, we're not bragging about a number. We, we, we were out there, boots on the ground. And we were out there uh, two to three weeks at least helping people. But I have a question. Does it have to take a tragedy for people to see the big picture? To see the town coming. Jesus wants us to drop this nearsightedness. Stop this what's going on around me and only me and look at the big picture of what's happening right here in our backyard. People walking in, going to the growth track. I encourage you, if you've never gone, take that step. And let me tell you this, as a church, we've got to be, we, we can't be consumed about what's happening even right here tonight. Because I want to let you know something, church is not about the churched. We need to exist for the people that are not here yet. Church is not about the lunch. It's about the town that's coming to meet Jesus at the well. God intends for us to make a difference by simply opening up our eyes. And men, I'm going to put another plug in for, for Wild Game Cookout, but there's going to be a different spin on it, Pastor Brandon. I have to tell you this, that Wild Game Cookout is not for you alone, solely for you. It's for the man who's struggling with an addiction and a struggle in his life, and he walks in and sees 900 to 1,000 men and gets touched by maybe one word or one scripture or one song that is done that night. That's what Wild Game is for. The church does care for your needs. You need to understand that. But it's not about you and it's not about me. It's for the people that are coming next Friday night. Men's Wild Game Cookout is not about the 500 church-going guys. It's about the 500 guys who are not in a church, who are not saved, who need to hear the gospel. Men's Wild Game is not about the lunch. It's about getting them here on our campus to feel comfortable, non-threatening, non-pressured, to be able to walk on a campus and enjoy what goes on out here. But let me tell you, the end result happens right here. Because Pastor Todd will give an altar call for salvation. 
That's one thing that, that we've said in our meetings over the years about wild game is sometimes the speakers are, they're great, they're awesome, but it's not about having a little cheerleading thing, pom-poms going on. It's about seeing transformation in a man's life. And we are going to offer life groups on that night to connect guys even further. You see, men's wild game cookout is not about the lunch. Jesus says, if you would just see this event like I see it. And maybe even begin praying right now for salvations. How about that? When it comes to, let, let's take, for instance, those, those 500 men, let's just say half, who maybe have never stepped into a church. Maybe they've stepped away from church for many years. I want to give you a, a picture of what they look like. And this is a true story. I've been in church. Michelle and I have been in church for 30 years. I, I got saved in 1986 in Atlanta, Georgia. <clears throat> and just for tonight, I, I did a little quick calculation. I, I figured that <clears throat> I've probably heard, whether here in this church or other churches, conferences, online, somewhere in the neighborhood, Pastor, Pastor Francis preaching, Brother Todd preaching, guest speakers, somewhere in the neighborhood of about 35 to 3,700 messages over 30 years. And I've even preached a little bit here and there. I've heard wonderful teachings. I've heard wonderful sermons. But about two months ago, my world and about seven of us at a conference, our worlds got rocked by a true story that gives a picture of maybe what these 500 men that are not church are going to look like when they come inside this sanctuary. The pastor who was giving the, uh, the talk tells us about a true story that happened to he and his family. It's he and his wife and, and three children. So the five of them decided to take a vacation to, um, I think it was Vail, Colorado, to meet up with some other families. And, and so it was roughly about 25 to 26 total people. They were having a great time. They were skiing and, and, and enjoying the beauty, God's beauty. And one day they decided to all 25 of them to go into the little town with the shops and everything and just do some shopping and just walk around. And this pastor, his name is uh, Pastor Chris, his youngest son, Joseph, is autistic. And I have to set this up saying that he is unable to communicate And so they walked, all 25 of them walked into one shop. I think it was maybe an ice cream shop. And they all got ice cream. And then everyone decided to go out of that ice cream shop and into the next shop. And so they're in there for several, several, several minutes. And all of a sudden, somebody said, where's Joseph? And naturally, as a father, what would you do? Or even as a mom, panic. Because he cannot speak. 
And that's the first thing that came to Pastor Chris's mind is my son cannot speak. He will not be able to tell people his name or anything. And so they immediately took the 24 of them that were left and divided up into teams trying to find him. And for 20 to 25 minutes, they could not locate him. He even went up to a security guard who was like Barney Fife. And he, he offered no help. In fact, he tells Pastor Chris, he says, well, where's the last place you saw him? He wanted to say, my son is autistic. He cannot speak. And about a good 20 or 25 minutes go by, and there's Pastor Chris frantically looking and going, where is my son? And off in the distance, he sees his son walking across a uh, pedestrian bridge. And he said, there was my son. Unable to communicate. And Pastor Chris got a vision immediately. And he said, that's what lost people look like. He said, my son looked confused, dazed, and unable to communicate. And so I want to let you know that there will be 500 men who are going to look by the way when Pastor Chris told us this story he could barely get through it and I told Pastor Brandon and I'm not lying I said I'm using that story you can't steal it (laughs) because it, it rocked my world because I'm a daddy And now I'm a grandfather. And so when it's about souls, that's what they look like. Oh, they may be tough on the outside. They might even drop a few words out there. On I don't care about those words. What I'm concerned about is their eternity. And we cannot be so nearsighted and so focused on a shotgun. Yes, that, that, that's a draw. And the food, it, it, it's a draw. But let me tell you, men's wild game cookout is not about the lunch. It's about seeing men get saved. And let me just give you three things real quick as we kind of finish this message. Three things that we must do to be an open-eyed Christian. And it's going to be up on the screen, the fill in the blanks, but you, you have the, uh, the handout there. Number one, we have to accept the personal responsibility. Amen? Is anybody out there? We have to accept the personal responsibility, okay? So in other words, it's not the church's job. It's not someone else's that's on the church leadership's job to 
go after those people or just, just to have that big picture. I've got to tell you this, folks. You're God's plan. You're it. There is no plan B. How do I know that? Because in Matthew, and it's on your, on your handout, in Matthew 5, he says, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and give its light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. The Holy Spirit is not for us to just have kumbaya and, and goosebumps, right? Because he says, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Mark 16, 15, he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. And I'll end right here at Romans 10. It says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's great news, amen? But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? I ran across this quote today, and, and I chuckled at first, but the more I read it and reread it, it was very powerful. Why can't the message of Christ travel as fast as gossip does? You need to write that down. Why can't the message of Christ travel as fast as gossip does? I'll leave that alone. I want to tell you this, that the lady at the well accepted her responsibility. In spite of her past, in spite of her wounding that took place maybe as a little girl, she didn't wait for the church leaders to go after the town. She took it upon herself to do it. Amen? So number one, and, and, and the way this works, these three points, is actually one sentence, and I broke it down in, in three phrases. So number one, we have to accept the personal responsibility to number two, to move away from being nearsighted. To move away from being nearsighted. We've got to move away from being so concerned about the lunch, th those things that are like right here. Like the woman at the well, she wasn't concerned about her surroundings at, this, at that well. She could have very well stayed there. She could have very well have drawn her water and gone right back to where she was living. Let me tell you, she was not nearsighted at all because Scripture tells us the town, I don't know how big it was, I don't know, the town came back to see Jesus. What, what maybe what got in her, what, what transformed, I don't know, maybe this, Philippians 2, 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, value others above yourselves. I think she got touched by the master supernaturally. And all of a sudden, it wasn't about her. It wasn't about her past or her living conditions. It was about getting her message 
to the town people. Amen. She knew that her next step was to make a connection with the town. And she was not going to let anything stop her, I can assure you. I'm sure she didn't go to the town and start pointing the finger because that's what people did to her all of her life. God delivered her right there on the spot. She had a mission in mind. I need to go get those people. I need to go get those 500 men next Friday night. Pastor Brandon, I just can't get that out of my mind. That could be half of those men not only need to be here, but need to hear the message of Jesus. Because you never know about tomorrow. All this lady did was go tell the people her side of the story. Because look what it says in John 4 and in verse 39, continuing, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of what? The preacher on Sunday? You tell me, what does that scripture say? Because of the woman's testimony. And look what she says. She divulges immediately what happened. He told me everything I did. That's pretty powerful. To let people inside to see her and to see her issues and problems but I think she was so excited that God immediately, supernaturally delivered her. She told her side of the story. She was very honest. She was very, I'm sure she was very candid. She didn't hide or hold anything back. She wasn't fake. Come on now. How many of you known some Christians that are fake? Oh, yeah, you're fussing and fighting on the way here. But when you get here, praise to God. Praise the Lord. Then you get back in the car and you start fighting again. Come on now. Somebody shout me down while I'm preaching good. Been there, done that. So we not only have to accept the personal responsibility to move away from being nearsighted, but this is my favorite part. Number three, to become part of the process of helping people transition from hearing about Jesus to hearing from Jesus. And let me show you in Scripture, because it's right here in the verses. Verse 40. So when the Samaritans came to him, meaning those people out in the town, they wound up coming to Jesus at the well. They urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more believers, or many more became believers. Verse 42. They said to the woman, get this, we no longer believe just because of what you said. In other words, you told us about Jesus. Now we have what? Circle the word heard. They transitioned from hearing about Jesus. They now, we have heard for ourselves. Isn't that incredible? 
they not only heard sort of something that had just happened from a lady, you know, her side of the story. Now they're hearing from Jesus himself. And that's the beauty of opening our eyes is that you get to see somebody who is beaten up, they're messed up, they're drugged up, their marriage is in, in, in a pitfall, and you get to see, when you've got the big picture, and it's not about lunch, but it's about that person and only that person, you get to see the transformation in them take place. And you get to see, now, what we want is we want an instant, like a microwave oatmeal, you know, instant grits or whatever. But you personally get to see the transformation begin to take place little by little by little by little. And it is a miracle to see that happen. And this is what happens. They go, that person goes from hearing about Jesus and then they start learning who Jesus is. They learn about forgiveness they learn about not walking in fear anymore, like we sang earlier. They start learning. They start applying. They, they're involved in a life group. They go through the growth track and we identify. They start serving and becoming involved. And all of a sudden, you start to see them mature. And the next thing you know, you know what's going to happen? They're going to run to you and knock on the door. You will not believe what happened to me last night. I was sitting in my chair watching ESPN and the Lord just all of a sudden tells me to turn it off. Has God ever told you that? And you know that it's for real because they, they, they say it in, in that way. And the next thing I know, I'm weeping. Man, I never weep before, but man, I'm weeping. Man, what's going on with me? They heard from Jesus. That's the transformation that takes place when we get our eyes off the lunch and get it on the big picture. And so I go back to that statement that John wrote. Remember, I, I, I told you that we were going to try to answer. But Doug, if you could put up, or even if it's on your handout, if you could go back to the verse, I think it's, um, let me get it for you real quick. Verse 27, the very first scripture. It says, just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. And look what John says. But no one asked, what do you want, Lord? Or what's up? What's going on? Why are you talking to her? Do you think maybe that John had a little bit of regret? That maybe he was concerned about the food too? And not on the big picture of this woman? Maybe so. I love this story because one person had an impact on many. And so, men, I encourage you for men's wild game. 
you have an opportunity to not be so concerned about the lunch and the shotgun, but about their eternal destination. And so I even, I, I encourage you even tonight to go not only get your ticket for yourself, but maybe buy a couple for someone that you know that would not only love to come and enjoy the festivities, but to hear the message. Ladies, you could do the same thing maybe for your brother or maybe for your son or, or, or somebody, maybe your neighbor, and just invite, or maybe your boss, and just say, here's a ticket. Let God do it. Let the Holy Spirit take over at that point. Don't be so concerned. You've got to accept the responsibility to stop worrying about this, getting away from being nearsighted, because don't you want them to hear not only about Jesus, but to hear from him? I'd like for you just to simply stand to your feet very quietly. I just want you to just kind of search your heart a little bit tonight. Maybe, 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 maybe you've been like one of those 500 men who are going to be here next Friday, a little confused and, and not sure what's happening in your life. Maybe you just showed up here tonight for the very first time. And, and you don't know about all of this. That's okay. We're here to help you. This could be so brand new for you. Maybe you've been hurt. Maybe you've, you, you've just simply never transitioned from learning about Jesus to hearing from him. Maybe you haven't given your life to Christ. And listen, I, I don't want you to leave. Tonight, it, it's not about what, what this message is or, or the handout that you have. The big picture is your eternal destination. Amen. And so I'm just going to ask that you just bow your head and close your eyes. No one looking around. I want you to search your heart. And, and maybe you're like the woman at the well. Maybe your past has really sort of chained you to a well. And you feel like you can't even put your bucket in there to get water out. That you've been suffering. You, you've been hurting. Jesus wants to meet you at the well. He wants to tell you, my food is not about what the food that's going to be served at Wild Game, but my food is about doing the will of Jesus, about the will of my Father. 
And so if that's you, if you've been hurting, if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, I'm saying all in. I just simply want you to raise your hand. Say, Rob, that's me. I've never given my life to Jesus. Thank you, brother, for being very bold and honest. We got two of them that, that have raised their hands. That, that, that's, that, that's a real man to say, I need Jesus. I need to meet him at the well tonight. And I want to tell you guys that Jesus wants to meet you in a personal way. He wants to help you. And listen, like the, like the lady at the well. Her past had her bound up. I don't know how old she was, but her past had her bound up for many years. And then when Jesus came on the scene, they got totally delivered and set free. Jesus says, I am he. I'm the Messiah. Jesus wants to come into your life in a very profound way. And so what I want to do, you, you two guys who raised your hands, what I want you to do is after service, I would like for you to come down and I would like to meet you because it's not about me. It's not about the lunch. It's about your eternity. Amen. And I just want to have some ministry time with you and just talk with you and lead you in a little prayer. Maybe, maybe you're here tonight and your life has been about the lunch and not about seeing the bigger picture. How many of you would say, yeah, that's me. You're concerned about the food. Come on, be honest with me. But tonight you would like to say, Rob, I don't want to be a Martha anymore. I'd like to be a Mary and sit at the feet of Jesus. I want to see the big picture. How many of you want to see more of the big picture? Come on, let me see. Raise your hands. Yep, I, I want to see more of the big picture. It's not about me. It's about my coworkers. For some of you, it may be about your spouse. Maybe a child, maybe a grandchild. Maybe it could be about a neighbor who has gone through extreme, extreme depression because of what just happened in their neighborhood with the floods. Oh, it's easy to go help for a couple days, but now that it's been, what, seven, eight weeks, I think God would want us to have a bigger picture, amen? And maybe just simply bring him something. You don't have to bring your Bible and tap them on the head. Just show up and say, can I help you? Maybe they have young children. Offer to babysit. Give the, give the mom maybe some time away. Anything, anything, anything like that can help. Amen? Jesus said, I wish you would see Lafayette like I see Lafayette. And so, Father, tonight we thank you that, Lord, we are seeing Lafayette we're seeing our surrounding communities. We're seeing our neighborhoods. We're seeing our work areas and our coworkers, and even within our own family, maybe a neighbor. Lord, I pray that tonight we're going to see them a little differently. Amen, saints? We're going to see 
transformation take place. And so men, I'm, I'm, I'm making a plea because I felt it in my spirit even while I was preaching that we will have a lot of men coming into this auditorium. And so I just want to encourage you in your prayer time, maybe, maybe, maybe during your break time or even in your lunch, begin praying because it's spiritual warfare. When you're talking about things and the Holy Spirit and salvation, it is spiritual warfare. Satan does not want that to take place. And so can we as a church agree that that night will be a very special night? Because so many are going to be coming in here. looking up like Chris's son, unable to communicate, confused. Lord, I pray for a harvest next Friday night. I pray for a harvest Sunday. Lord, I thank you for your word that's powerful and it's strong and it's active and it helps us Lord to get so off of ourselves and onto what the bigger picture is Lord I pray that we will see a harvest a harvest of souls coming into the kingdom of God that Satan had his claws on ready to snatch them and bring them into hell but Jesus said, no, let me meet them at the well and see their life become forever changed. Amen. Again, the two gentlemen who raised their hands, if you wouldn't mind coming down when, when we close here in just a second, I, I, I want to personally pray with you. I don't want you to leave. Amen. Do not leave. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for tonight. I thank you for your wonderful, wonderful, precious spirit that's here tonight. We thank you, Lord, that we can be used by you to make a difference in someone's life. And so tonight we agree, is that right, saints, that it's not about, in fact, say that, it's not about the lunch. It's about the town people, say that. It's about the town people that are coming, not only this Sunday, but Friday night. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you like I know that I know. That story, when I went to that conference in Birmingham, messed me up. In fact, I came home and told my wife and I could not get through the story because it gave me more of a picture of what's happening in our world. People are hurting. They're hurting. They're basically surviving and they're not thriving. But when we get our eyes off the lunch, watch what happens. Amen. 
I pray a blessing on everyone here tonight. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, amen. Thank you for coming. Thank you for coming. We'll see you guys on Sunday.